So I'm trying to figure out what do we do as citizens, aside from sacrificing our lives, becoming activists, right? What do we do to really have a more moderate party again? Well, obviously, Drew. No, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> like, bro, tell me. <laughs> obviously, bro, we just need like free Kit Kats. I'm the free Kit Kat party. Ooh. Welcome, everybody, to the Faking Notes Podcast. Faking Notes Podcast. What's good? Today is a very special day. It's just Drew and I. We're hanging out. It's yeah. been a while. And you're now a year older. Congrats yeah, to you. I'm last year of my 20s. So we'll Level see up. if I... Uh, I think I kind of want to be irresponsible this year. I don't know why. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the last year of irresponsibility. After this, yeah, everything's yeah. serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today, we, we, we talk a little bit about setting up an agenda, efficient scheduling, how to go about really setting up frameworks for success. How do you talk to yourself? How do you deal with your resistance, your pain, your anxiety? And more specifically, Drew and I, we do a ask us, ask me anything, mm-hmm. except it's just us asking each other mm-hmm. questions. But we're, we're both in the midst of setting up new schedules and new systems and implementing them. And so we just wanted to tell you how that journey's going and give you some things maybe that you can think about and add into your daily life. And we, we then, from that point, took the four or five down uh, decision fatigue. And it took us to an incredible location called Doom Potting. (laughs) We briefly give some impressions about, you know, the debate that happened last night. What a wonderful birthday present. Happy birthday, Drew. And I think that everything that we do as artists is in context. So I love how this episode starts out with us giving tips on how we are centering ourselves so that we can live a greater purpose for other people. And I think that the end of the podcast really drives home the need for us to really do this personal work because we do have a really big job ahead of us in many different aspects. So uh, let's get hard. Oh, stay hard. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You can do that too. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of that, if you you like the show... If you've been with us along this journey, <laughs> leave a rating, subscribe. More importantly, yeah. just recommend this. Recommend this. Force your other friends to listen to this. Just whisper in their ear. You should listen to this new podcast that I speak to those podcasts. All right. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. Ooh, are you nervous, dude? It's been so long. Dude, I'm kind of nervous. Like, I'm used to having another guest to just talk the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) It's just me and you, baby. Welcome to the Faking Notes Podcast. Hey, what's good, Fakey fam? How you doing? This is just a love letter episode from us to you. To you. It's all about love. Do love letters still still happen? Or is it a love email? Dude, I like... So I do sappy stuff when I like a girl. I'll like write stuff for them or I'll like make videos for them and stuff. Mm. I think it happens, but with technology, the way we do it is different. But also doesn't have a very high efficacy rate. 
So also, <laughs> fellas out there, you need to also make sure like she's into you. Because if she's not, it kind of is a little cringe. So The ROI. Like, you, you got to set up the marketing. The you know, is my love scalable at this moment? <laughs> <laughs> Can I, like, increase this love by 30% by the third quarter? <laughs> is that possible? Our current trend is downward. So we need to make bold action here, people. Johnson, you have any ideas? You know, it's like... <laughs> Throw them out the window. <laughs> Speaking of... Wonderful ideas. Welcome yeah. to being 29. Oh. Welcome to the club. Whoa, bro. You're right. It's my golden year, bro. I turned 29 on the 29th. So that's, dude, I had a really emotionally heavy day yesterday. It's just like the whole world coming down, the whole thing. I'm about to be 30. I'm like looking at like, so every birthday is very profound for me. Because mm-hmm. seven years ago, I started Instagram. September wow. 29th, 2013. is my first ever Instagram post. It was the first time I had a smartphone. So it was like a really big moment for me. Transformational, even. And so when I did that, when I made that first post, because I was so scared, I made a pact to myself that, like, if I don't build this thing into anything substantial within 10 years... I'll quit music and just do something else. So seven years later, seeing where I am, it's just, it's very profound because like I grew up just thinking I was, I was never the the best. I was always trying to catch up to people. I was always trying to like exceed or or I was trying to meet their expectations, but Mm -hmm. people's expectations of me were so low. So just to have like this sort of weird dystopian reality where we're stuck in quarantine everything that's going on with with the politics and then i also have the most birthday wishes i've ever gotten in my entire life it's just this mix of emotions and i was just overwhelmed so out there thank you everybody who wished me happy birthday like you don't understand how much i like needed the love uh it was great thank you so i just wanted to Debrief you. Trevor. Write a love letter. Write a love letter. To, write a to love fans. letter. So every everyone yeah. who got a happy birthday, you're getting a custom video, and uh, uh, <laughs> bro, that was the other part of my fucking birthday was a anxiety attack because I was like, I'm overbooked. I'm overbooked. I have too many responsibilities. Isn't that how it goes? I I literally before we press record, I texted A B like I'm I'm so tired. I'm like losing it. There's so many scheduling things going on, and this always happens. When we're not working, it's anxiety because we're not working. And when we're working, it's anxiety because it's too much. And it's too much. <laughs> I think that's a, a great segue, a little bit of focus. So this pod is a AMA reflection pod, except we're the asking the questions. Yeah, so <laughs> it's not, it's ask me anything, Trevor, or ask yeah, me anything, a, Drew. Yeah, a, AMAT. AMAT or AMAD. AMAT. So Matt, a mad, a mad, man, a mad. And I think what we can start off is both of us had a lull in work at some point in the relatively recent past, thanks to moving and, and or pandemic. And now both of us are incredibly busy thanks to pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> and building a digital infrastructure, Trevor, look at us. Digital infrastructure, mm-hmm. digital infrastructure mm-hmm. week. How are we going about dealing with scheduling? We don't leave the house. 
We don't get out. Mm-hmm. I've had this business coach that I've referenced, and one of the things I went in there was like- going to drop her name? Angela Beeching. If you're a classical Let's musician, go. you've probably been talking. <laughs> she's wonderful, and she's doing exactly what I need, which is looking at my life and saying, yo, you, you can do better. You can fix this. We can fix this. And so she's, she's kind of my music business therapist every two weeks, and I went into one session, and I was like, hey- I'm just not getting as much done as I either need to or should be able to. She said, okay, pull up the calendar. And wow, was was that embarrassing? (laughs) This blank canvas with a couple drops of, remember to submit this, do this, do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was in New York and I was teaching and I was teaching at various programs, I was pretty strict on the Google calendar. I had to in order to survive. Moved to LA, everything gets offloaded to me. And of course you'll understand this, Drew where it's on my time and it's up to me to craft. There are, there are very yep. few concrete moments mm-hmm. where, okay, 1045 meeting or teach at this exact time. And I wasn't documenting my time well. So I think mm-hmm. one of the things we can focus on today is, is scheduling and how we go about setting up our life now that we don't even leave the house. Sexy stuff. Sexy, <laughs> this, is, this is hot. Say, Ooh, say less. Stra- strap in. Getting slip into something comfortable. We're going to get a little wet in here, you know? Mm, Google Calendar. Oh, be, be careful with the safe word. <laughs> I've, I've set up a few things. So I kind of did my own research. I've been doing research on efficiency for years. I just don't do mm-hmm. it. Uh, I spend more time, you know, learning how to be more proficient and effective in my life than I do being more efficient and effective in my life. There's that mm-hmm. story where I realized after an eight or nine hour binge of reading up on procrastination that I was procrastinating. By reading about procrastination. <laughs> and, and, and like that was an aha moment. Like, oh, I have, a, I have a problem. That was still years ago and things have improved. But my business coach, Angela, she goes in and she looks at the calendar, which was a wasteland of inefficiency. And she said, you need to fix this. Like, I don't know how, but actually block things out, go in and set this up. And so I've done a lot of recent research and to set up systems that one, I will actually do and two, mm-hmm. help me. That's huge. And, mm-hmm. and that's my biggest thing too, is anytime and as everyone knows, you're trying to build a habit or something or a new diet, a new lifestyle change. Some things come in cold turkey, mm-hmm. but more often than not, you need to ease it in and really just make sure it's easy, mm-hmm. it's fun, it's simple, uh, it makes you feel good, whatever it takes to kind of reduce the pain to get in and actually do it. And so I wanted to set up something that was simple that I would stick to. <clears throat> so it goes as follows. In a Google Calendar, I'm only focusing on my nine to six, my work day for now. And everything is blocked. It's specifically, that's it, in Google, you just, instead of setting up different colors, it's set up by separate calendars. And this is this job's calendar and this job's calendar and my project's calendar. And so it's labeled out down to the 15-minute interval. I'm going to then separate those blocks later into breaking down projects, but mm-hmm. I just want to see my day. What does it involve? When does lunch happen? When does my projects happen? So that's pretty normal. The key thing is that I'm doing differently is I'm doing something I'm just calling a retro into where as I go throughout the day, I have a whole other separate calendar, just a different color, an ugly orange. That's my favorite color, damn it. Not this orange. This orange is, <laughs> this orange is ugly. And so, uh, but I I'm go through <laughs> and I input what I actually did. And that's something I didn't do. I wasn't reflecting on things, how things actually turned out and how I actually spent my time. 
And mm. I stick to it and I'm honest with myself. Was I lazy that morning? Did I not walk the dog? Did I actually did I actually do the work during this block? And so I can see side by side what I had planned and what actually happened. What actually happened. And mm-hmm. and just keeping it real honest. What I'm going to do with that is it's simply information. I can then learn from that. I think there's something called like a get chart is the technical thing to where you set up the plan and then later on you see and compare how long something actually took side by side. So then I can adjust in the future when I have a future film project or I realize, wait, this meeting always runs over 15 minutes. I should account for that and not plan something else because probably just like you, my biggest issue is that it only takes one thing taking longer than it should, me not accounting for it, me being tired one day and being slow on something or procrastinating something. All it takes is one project to bump into the next and then absolute traffic jam fucking chaos ensues Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's, it's apology circles. I'm sorry, this is late. I'm thank you for your patience. Cause I don't, you know, we're not supposed to apologize. Thank you for your patience. And it just spirals, spirals, spirals. And it becomes uh, just raw, painful, anxious chaos that then just builds and builds and builds. And so I'm trying to get out of this hole by just being honest with myself <laughs> and assess, yeah. wait a minute, doing this little film thing took three times as long as I planned. When I make this proposal next time, I will know that. I, it won't be an abstract, I think this will take 80 hours of work. No, mm-hmm. 240 hours. Bro, I mean, I think this is like our first test run of being real actual independent entrepreneurs because oftentimes we get to we have to split our time between live performance or or just showing up but no access to us is 24 7 because we are at home and people know we're at home people know (laughs) we're you know so i think that setting that's my problem is i don't set boundaries and so what i've found is that i will want to say yes and serve as many people as possible to the point that I overschedule myself. And then one time when I get behind a little bit because a human moment, I was like, oh, I haven't eaten a day and it's 5 p.m. and I need to cook. So I'm going to do that. But since I'm cooking, that's two hours of my day gone in terms of cleanup, in terms of the actual eating, in terms of the cooking and preparation and stuff like that. So that's why I can't get you this recording that I'm doing for free for you right now. But here's the deal is that also feeds back into, at least right now, it's feeding back into who I am as a person mm-hmm. and how I feel about my own integrity, my own integrity. You, know, <laughs> you watch South Park? <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh my God, I caught up on the new season. It's so, it's so hilarious. Anyway. I'm so far behind. Integrity, right? So it's like finding a way of decoupling yourself from being like this, this work drone and actually taking time for yourself. I was talking to Mindy about this yesterday during my breakdown. And she was like, you do work hard. I'm like, bro, you do. But I feel like I don't get anything done. Right. And that's, and that's the crazy thing. But you know what I found out and what you said was so brilliant. And I wanted to touch on that. And I wanted to reemphasize this to the faking fam. Your experience now in doing this, uh, you said it was for, for a musical, right? 80 out. You thought it was going to take 80 hours. Mm-hmm. Took 240. 
Yeah. Something like that. This is similar to what I've learned in my home buying course. Because I'm taking courses on pocket products. That's why the MVP uh, (laughs) conversation was so funny to me because I'm learning about pocket product, which is essentially the same thing. What I've learned is that when you are doing a renovation on your home, right? And you do an estimate for how much the contractor is going to cost, how much the materials are going to cost, right? They always say add another 15 to 25% to what you plan because things always inevitably happen and you always spend more money on a renovation than you think. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because I'm seeing that sort of schema happening in this work project-based schema where, yes, you've done a project in 80 hours before, but you didn't do it during a pandemic. You didn't do it. It's like all these other extenuating factors that you have to think about. I love that. I've been trying to build in time, just buffer, like blocking out in a calendar buffer time. The problem I'm trying to put this into place to where I'm already in the snowball. I'm currently rolling down the mountain because things have bumped into each other. But I'm at least trying to finally learn from it because this has been a lifelong issue for all of adult life, college and beyond. Mm -hmm. Under planning, saying yes to too many things. I remember conversations with my undergrad bassoon professor, my, my lifelong mentor. He looked at me. He's like, you need to say no. Ah! He's like, you should try it. You should just say no. Someone asks you to play in this ensemble or play for their concert, all right? Just say no. Occasionally, I listen to that. I'm slowly becoming better. I think some of it is is a scarcity mindset of a sense and also a service mindset. Oh, this person wants help. They want me to help out with their thing. This could be long-term. I like them. I like the project. I've been very bad at saying no to things. I've always added on things. And the only time I had to let go of things was when I uprooted from New York to LA because I was forced to. Mm-hmm. I couldn't make that commute uh, every single day. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. bro, you're limiting yourself. I think these are limiting <laughs> beliefs. <laughs> Just like, oh, I, I need to be back at 5 p.m. Let's see, I'm hopping a point real quick for dinner. Uh, but that was the only time I let go of things. And I've just never been mm-hmm. that good I always want to add because I feel attached to what was prior working at or these students or I like this program or I could see myself having a future there, this indecision and the inability to pass things on. And that's something I will continually have to work on. And I think what's really helping me with just these simple calendar things, I think as we approach 30, it's finally saying enough's enough. I don't need to do that. Heck, it could be good for my career. I don't need to do that. Also, I can't because... I've done too many things poorly because I couldn't give them the time or the love or the energy they deserve. And I think realizing that we can't get away anymore being tired and just pushing through. It doesn't work like that. It's not enjoyable and my art has Mm -hmm. suffered for it. I've delivered Mm -hmm. many a mediocre product. While yes, I've scheduled, I've planned things accordingly. I think using this kind of retro scheduler to look back and learn, actually learn from my mistakes, I have something concrete I can point to. That's smart. Mm-hmm. That's really the separate factor. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. second thing I'm doing, so that's existing yeah. on the calendar. <clears throat> I'm still yeah. implementing a process on breaking down projects and then having that feed into the calendar. I'm doing 
something simple, something that takes three minutes a day. Or the week before, I'm kind of giving a theme of the week. We've talked about this recently, and Drew, I want you to talk specifically about your recent Notion breakdowns. But for me, I just, in my Evernote, I have a theme of the week. It's a quote. It's something inspirational. It's an actual theme, just something quick. I slap down. I don't want to think about too much. But every day when I'm scrolling through my schedule, I will see that. Theme of the week. Then for every day, I write the night before a highlight. And this is from recent research. There's, I can't remember his name, but he's running around promoting his book. A gentleman who (laughs) was obsessed with efficiency, but he realized that, wow, yes, he was highly productive. He treated himself like a robot. And after a couple of years of lots of success, lots of productivity, he realized, this is a fun, like, I don't want to live this. Like, I shouldn't have to be a robot. I should be a human. And so he got rid of all that. And he just, he sticks to a highlight. It's very much like uh, bad snacks, no zero days. Basically, is one thing he needs to do that day. And it can be fun. It can be work. I need to read a book. I'm going to have cooked dinner for my family. I really have to respond to this email. But he sticks to one. And it's the highlight. He accomplishes. He knows if he gets that thing done, he feels good. I have that highlight. I have a why. Why? With the question mark. And it's to remind me, why do I do what I do? It's like, do I want, I'm doing this today to better position myself to help more people. I'm doing this today because I want to feel good. Just a simple why. And then the third thing for in my everyday little notes is just gratitude. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my partner. I'm thankful for the kind words this student said to me. I'm thankful for this. Mm-hmm. Just something positive. And so every mm-hmm. day, I do it the night before. Mm-hmm. So I wake up, I look at that. The decision's been made. I'm not prolonging it. Mm-hmm. I go throughout my day with my schedule. And then at the end of the day, I have a very simple wrap up. One or two sentences. How did it go? I really stuck to my schedule or wow, work really sucked. You know, fuck this. I will do, I will think about this tomorrow or remember. I should have gotten tacos. Better. <laughs> yeah, I should have gotten tacos. Like anything. Today was a taco day a brief for sure. Check in. <laughs> and the goal is, is to alleviate my mind. Why I really wanted to focus on schedules was because I'm finally tired of these pro- the project snowball and the anxiety that comes with it. Uh, I s- said specifically to my business coach, as we get older, I'm living with family. I have a partner. They're not used to the artist lifestyle of work all the time. I can only do that for so long. My time yeah. is no longer my own, which is both unfortunate and a, a positive. And fortunate. And that's the rest of your life. Yeah, like so be it. And, a, <laughs> and that's the rest of my life. And so what I didn't do what I hadn't done was replace those extra hours, the late nights, the, the weekend work. I hadn't replaced that time in a typical nine to six work day. And yeah. that's where my issue lied. I was, I'm getting too old to be working late at night really efficiently. I can't do the mm-hmm. weekends. I have to mm-hmm. you know, cook, cook dinner for the family and do other types of things mm-hmm. and see the people who I'm living with in a pandemic. There should be... I should not go a day without really seeing everyone. That was the thing for me too. And yeah. I couldn't I couldn't replace that mm-hmm. efficiency. I couldn't replace that efficiency during the day. And that was my biggest problem. So I had just lopped off this extra time and then not used my time when I had it more wisely. I wasn't treating myself like an actual business. I think it comes back no. to that self-reflection. I was not acting like a business. I would fire me if I was running, if I had a manager, if I was managing myself, but absolutely have fired me. If you work for you, you're also, you also aren't going to be doing all the jobs. (laughs) So I think you have to be Mm -hmm. kinder 
this is one thing that Mindy told me too. It's like, you got to be kinder to yourself. Cause like, especially if you're an independent entrepreneur, you are a manager, you are a copywriter, you are a performer, you are a teacher, you are a consultant, you are a marketer. Like it, like, let's be real. You wear all the fucking hats. So if you fall short in some way, that's okay. Part of the reason is like that some things are more consistent and organizations are more consistent is due to delegation. It's, it's something that uh, I've been hearing over and over and over by people way more sagacious than me. One of them being Sam Walder. The other thing that <laughs> Sam Walder said we go. during his podcast was one of his mentors told him, the key to happiness is managing expectations. And so this brilliant thing that you're suggesting, having that one highlight, is managing your expectations. And I don't know why I did the, the Trump hand thing. I watched the debate <laughs> last night, and so I think some what of it's it? sticking. <sighs> but no, yeah, have that highlight be fulfilled, because then your expectations are pretty low. And hey, we hit it. So everything's bonus. And you know, as a gamer... You always feel better about the things you achieve during the bonus round than the things you achieve during the regular <laughs> round. Why is it? You get bonus to collect more coins. You feel much better about those extra 12 coins you picked up, right? Instead of the 200 you picked up in the regular round, right? I think that maybe viewing your life in that way could be helpful. I don't think you're doing it. I'm curious because you've been, now that I've gone through my new schedule talk mm -hmm. and approach, you seem mm -hmm. to have been really improving in this area and setting up uh, different systems, uh, particularly with your morning routine. Do you want to walk us through that? Yeah, but it kind of fell apart. <laughs> you know what I'm, <laughs> I, the biggest thing I've learned, bro. Is like, as you're on this path of self-improvement and growth, you will fail. You will fall back. You will have setbacks. But it's like realizing the setbacks and then getting back on the train. The biggest things that I've tried to change are multiple in my life. I've tried to track all of my finances, all of my driving. Um, I've started uh, automating kind of and tracking saving uh, mm -hmm. I have started cooking more regularly. I started a gymnastic ring workout, um, regiment. And I've also doubled down on educating myself on more entrepreneurial things like creating lead generation. I took a home buying course. So I'm doing a lot. Like I did a lot of things that had nothing to do with music. Right. Uh, I'm also learning how to chop. I'm learning cajon, I'm learning guitar. So I'm doing so much, but because I'm doing so much, I'm not moving very fast in any of the directions. And I often will abandon a project. So I'm just learning. And this is, uh, this is a piece of advice that's similar to yours, but uh, Sarah Whitney is a productivity coach mm -hmm. in the, the uh, music space. Um, and she, I had just a quick talk with her and she said the similar thing, but three things, getting three things done a day. And unfortunately, it's kind of like, oh, and it reminds me, I'm sorry, I'm kind of going uh, through composed 
sort of like stream of consciousness. <laughs> Do you remember classrooms <clears throat> in grade school? They would have all those, like the teachers would like put snarky posters up there, up on the walls, yeah. and, and, uh, near the ceiling and everything. And one of them that I would see multiple <laughs> times that really made me laugh was this poster. It said, quote, I can only make one person's day per day. Today is not your day. Tomorrow's not looking good either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that's like a t- teacher's perspective, right? And I really feel like I have to adopt that to myself, right? Like mm-hmm. if I can only get three things done today, if those things are paying for my car because I still go into Bank of America to pay my pay off my loan because I haven't refied yet. That's going to happen very soon. Grocery shopping, dude. Uh, just standing in line, going to the grocery store, working out, cooking. All these things take so much time. So I have to be more, for me, if exercising and cooking cumulatively takes three hours of my day out and I can't get work done, that those are still things worthy of achieving because they're making me healthy. Mm. They're making me strong during a pandemic. But the capitalist system doesn't incentivize you to really value those things, to really feel like that is what productivity looks like, right? So I'm like trying to reframe what is actually productivity, because I could, I could wake up at six, and I, I did this for two months. Wake up at six, uh, check my finances, go for my workout, drink my protein shake, do two or three consultations, do a podcast with you, and then it's like three o'clock, and I'm like, okay, time to get to work. <laughs> That's not healthy. That's not healthy. Yeah. You see what I mean? Because work is like also working on my social media. It's working on the podcast stuff. So yeah, man, we're going to, I'm really sitting down with myself and, and looking at, okay, it's the artist, it's the art versus commerce scale again. What is for me, which is art and what is for commerce, which is for other people, right? And how do you balance mm. that? So that's a continual thing. Couple things that I did when I was most effective and before I burnt out completely crispy. Making your bed. Uh, First yep, thing. Make your bed. Making your bed. It's underestimated, but that win, there's a reason why people in the, the military do it. That tiny achievement, that win, gives you so much confidence to go on and do the next win. And I find that days where I'm not productive are days where I don't really make the bed. I just kind of throw stuff on my bed. My room's a little <laughs> disorganized. These things take time, but they really, they save you time down the road. And that was another thing mm-hmm. that he told me yesterday. It was like, is it worth it if you burn out? And then you have to oh, take I love two or three me. months to recover. Like, are you really efficient, right? Or, or if you take 15 minutes a day, like you said, to like check in with yourself, plan, and you can keep that up, that 15 minutes is nothing compared to months of burnout, right? It's so true. And I think Mm -hmm. in like a kind of a stage of burnout now, I just know I need to set up a, I I know I had to be honest with myself. I need to set up a system that prevents this. Looking Mm -hmm. back over the past couple of years, they could have, they're all learning experiences. It could have gone better. 
And a big part of that was burnout. When I arrived at LA, I was freshly toasted, hot out the oven, <laughs> and, <laughs> Me and too. for months, I had all this time. I had more time than I ever had in my life. And I accomplished nothing. Almost nothing. Yeah, that's okay. Because I squandered it. No, and yeah, but, but okay. I, I understood why yeah. it happened. Was I was just yeah. tired. It had been years yeah. of grind, grind, grind all the time. Mm. And I hadn't set up systems to really deal with these things. So a couple other mm. things. Specifically what you said. Um, one shout out to the famous TED Talk about making the bed. Don't remember the person. Uh, oh, I never saw that. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't remember. Like, that's like one of the old, his whole talk was like, wake up and make your bed. And that's how I got through PS, uh, PTSD. And like, that's kind of where that phrase came from. It's one of the earlier, like famous TED Talks. But wow. shout out, I, I stick to that. Another thing that you I had mentioned a while back was <laughs> forever shame. One thing that sticks in my mind that you had said was talking to your past self and your future self. Yeah. One on each shoulder. And yeah. these types of conversations, really honest reflection is what you're going for there. And yeah. you're talking to yourself. Another framing of that, that from the book, The Tools, that's been talked about that my business coach keeps mentioning is the concept the of the shadow. Having a conversation with your shadow. It's very similar. It's, it's almost the same exact concept. Mm -hmm. And that every artist has a shadow. It's kind of that shit, but provides our shame, our guilt. It doesn't want to do these things. It's trying to protect us. I think a new framing of that, that she told me recently, because I still haven't finished the book. Uh, my shadow doesn't like to read. She told me that it's not about suppressing the shadow or trying to eliminate your shadow, your past mm -hmm. self and your future self to become better and get work done. I need to suppress this. You know, I, we, we try to suppress, suppress it. the dark side. <laughs> suppress it. So we, I try, we try to suppress these, these, these thoughts, this, this inaction. Like, oh, no, I'm going to work hard. I need to do this thing. I have to create. I'm a creator. And mm. we, we push away our, our dark side. And what she said and what the writers of the tools promote is that you need to have a conversation with your shadow and to embrace your shadow and to bring them along in the journey. Talking mm -hmm. to yourself, saying, hey, I want you involved with this. Come <laughs> with me. Like we can do, like, we can do this. Because you're, you're never going to get rid of your shadow. That's how shadows work. <laughs> uh, unless my, you turn the light shadow off, is my best a little shit dark. talker. Yes, yeah, super <laughs> Sorry, I just cut your joke super off, dark. man. I'm sorry. No, yeah. It's so dark. <laughs> but, but, but you... <laughs> My my, sh my shadow dude, just talks shit, dude. No, you can't. But I, you can't, and you have to acknowledge it. But shout shout out, out, shadow, pod, but dude, you got the biggest, the best roasts, the best roasts. <laughs> the idea of just having that conversation with your anxiety, mm -hmm. with your 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 mm -hmm. scared self, depression, your frustration, mm -hmm. and saying you're part of what makes. This art, you're part of what makes me. You are a part of me. I want to do these things to help us. I'm not trying to get rid of you. I want you to be a part of the process. And <laughs> that's the new framing. That's a new framing for me. It's, I'm not going to put you up for adoption. Yourself. We're going to put you in yeah. the basement, okay? We're not going <laughs> to kick you out of the house. I'm going to house hack. I'm going to house hack. You're going to pay <laughs> the rent. 
and I'm gonna own this house. <laughs> I'm gonna own the house and have all the assets. How about that? So beyond the shadow, the second thing that really stuck to me in conversations with the business coach is she said, when planning out projects, it's not about efficiently planning it out or mapping it out to, to how it will best fit the schedule. She's like, really what you're doing is managing anxiety. She said, every project or everything you don't want to do, anything big, anything that needs to be scheduled <clears throat> should be about managing anxiety. And I never thought about that. These big daunting projects, you need to break it down realistically into the, you know, tiny, into tiny manageable mm. chunks. And mm. you want to set yourself up for success so that you don't avoid it. You don't put it off and it doesn't snowball mm. into something else. And the way to go about that. That's smart goals. Is, is to manage anxiety. And I just never mm. thought about that. You know, I want to think about the schedule and the time and how long is it going to take and what goes into this? No. Managing anxiety is managing yourself. It's like Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art, where that resistance, at least in this case with Angela Beeching's perception of it, is the shadow. You know, it's like they're the same thing. The two they're books like, she recommends are The Tools and The War of Art. War she of always art. talks there about you the go. resistance too. So it's like the two main go-tos. So continue mm-hmm. on the resistance. Cause I Yeah, I mean, I sent it to my brother because I was resisting so hard, but my mom's sending me a copy. Uh, so, <laughs> well, what I think is so interesting about what you said is managing the anxiety. And I think if you look at thing, people and systems that do incredible things, military, space travel, NASA, you know, they're all logisticians at the end of the day. I'm learning that they have systems that are just like checklists of very simple things, step by step by step by step. And the reason why things take a while is because in order to go to the next step, this step has to be completed so perfectly. Because guess what? Lives are at stake. Maybe an entire civilization is at stake. So I think if you kind of like give yourself maybe not that much pressure, but like understand that creating workflows and having piecemeal step-by-step, bro, making YouTube, I cannot believe, I am so impressed with myself that it took me that long to burn out. I'm mm-hmm. continually impressed by Ken Kubota because he is like, there are people, Jesse Wellens is another example. Casey Neistat, shout out, who's also back to vlogging now in the pandemic. The best thing that's happened during 2020. Shout out Casey Neistat. These people, at least from my perspective, look like everything they do is extemporaneous. And so I thought that that is what consistent creative production is all about. Extemporaneous mm-hmm. inspiration all the time, work, even just work, work, work. But I'm sure now that I've learned more, I'm sure that they all have a checklist of things that they need to get done. Because so the number of things that can go wrong in making a video in, contru- in, in conducting a military campaign, just look at Bar- uh, Operation Barbarossa, or you know, building a fucking spaceship. They all have so many things that could go wrong. So if you have a checklist, it takes away that anxiety of things that could go wrong because you know exactly what you need to do. Okay, here, now I import. Okay, now I put it into my project and I go to <laughs> settings and I change the resolution. It just really takes a lot of the decision-making away from 
your process, your creative process. I think that's a huge part is removing the, de- is trying to make the decision-making process easier. I'm, we all know about decision fatigue, having too many We options. don't. Can you talk about that, bro? Oh. Because that's a Freakonomics concept that right, I don't here think we go. people understand. Here we go. Yeah, bring Decision it, bring fatigue. It. Basically, the science says that the more options you have, the harder it is to make a decision. Mm. And I think a few of the things we've talked about that have helped about that within the art context is setting up these boxes, setting up barriers for yourself is freedom. Discipline equals equals freedom. freedom. Oh the, no! The circle back. Let's go. Oh no! The audience called that. They're like, God, God, can you stop? <laughs> Discipline equals shut up. Say something new. Yeah, nerd. It, it's true. Setting up boundaries have helped me. Whenever I'm limited artistically, that is often the best and most creative output, whether it's by the instrument, mm-hmm. the concept itself, the media uh, that it's going to appear in, or the medium mm-hmm. that it's going to appear in. Mm-hmm. When I just want to write a piece in the abstract, it's never really worked for me. The more and more I put up self-imposed barriers, the better the art has become. Because suddenly mm-hmm. I can see the logic. I'm not weighed down by the infinite. I am reducing the chance of decision fatigue. And I haven't done that with my schedule. And that's what I'm trying to implement by breaking down big projects, by trying to manage the anxiety. To prevent the anxiety is to avoid decision fatigue. When they were going to build the spaceship, they didn't say, hey, Bob, <clears throat> can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> I need a spaceship yeah, what's up, bro? in two years. Could you give me a spaceship? And Bob didn't sit around and wonder, oh, God, I got to build a spaceship. They did exactly what you said. They break it down. How many jobs? Who's doing this? Someone is designing the project, the screw. Yeah, someone's designing the screw that goes on this wing, goes on the Mm -hmm. left wing of the spaceship. That is my job. I build this. And then I'm going to design another screw that goes in here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to build this wing, this component. It needs to be shaped this way. What material is it made of? And they go through this checklist. And in the end, what do they wind up with? A spaceship. It wasn't in the abstract. They weren't sitting on Twitter in their thumbs. And I think we get that from, I think it seems like it's harder for artists. We understand building a piece and how to go through and practice it efficiently. We don't always do it, but we know what we need to do. Play through the piece, box up the hard parts, focus in on these hard parts, work on the key of the piece, work on the arpeggios of the piece, play it slower, Mm -hmm. speed it up, play it at the right tempo, but learn one note at a time, add on one time, make the rhythm more complex so that when you scale it back, it's easier. Mm-hmm. There's all these little strategies. We, we know kind of how to put together a piece. But when it comes to putting together in our own lives, it becomes way trickier because there's that mm-hmm. pressure as an artist that you need to be always working and always doing something. <clears throat> and I think that's the hard part because for everyone it's an issue, but particularly for artists and creators, it's that it's never enough. You can always be improving yourself. You can always be... Doing this, any time not spent creating is time wasted. And that's such a toxic, terrible mindset. What if you did an apogitura and <laughs> measure 57, Trevor? Would that make it more emotionally impactful? It should be a perfect fourth. That's what it really <laughs> needs to be. And, or, you know, people will sing my praises once I switch this interval. Think I this one it. interval is going to change everything. <laughs> Avoiding that mindset and getting out of that, that mm-hmm. not 
every moment needs to spend, be spent doing creation or daring into the infinite void, setting up these systems. A big thing, going back to your point, mm-hmm. is, uh, again, where we're talking about frameworks, mental frameworks to get through this, systems to come up with a better product, a better life, a better creative process. Mm-hmm. You mentioned trying to transform these everyday things into work, thinking of them as part of your work mm-hmm. and in a healthy sense. Mm-hmm. You exercising better positions you to have better work and to have a better life. You grocery shopping better positions you to eat better, which will lead to better creative output. All these little things that, that can build up. And it's the same for me too. Those were just chores or hindrances. Uh, cooking food is just taking away time from you actually working on what I want to do. And I'm also having to go through this process of unlearning that mindset because the working out, the walking the dog, grocery shopping, cooking, sleeping is what's going to feed into the creative process. I'm mm-hmm. tired and sleep well because mm-hmm. I watched that debate. Uh, if mm-hmm. you can call it that, train wreck mm-hmm. within a dumpster fire. Talk about a, decision fatigue. Yeah, decision <laughs> fatigue. Oh, yeah. we got two choices, and uh, I don't know. I'm fatigued, but I don't know about the decision. I'm not too fatigued on that. It's like, do you want chlamydia or gonorrhea? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was uh, Bill Maher or something. I haven't watched it in a long time, but back in 2016, that was his joke. He's like, Bernie didn't get it, and everyone's angry because... They wanted fish or the chicken, and now they have to they have to eat, have to eat you know this this chicken. It's this raw, unboiled, boring chicken. But now the choice is between chicken and a bucket of rat poison. <laughs> like, you, okay, yeah. we didn't want the chicken to begin with, but you're gonna need to eat the chicken. Like that's like the choice. Another thing that is found scientifically is your willpower and motivation throughout the day is finite and every decision you make depletes that whole that whole reservoir of decision making. So mm. this is why people like Steve Jobs and Eric Satie wore the same shit every day Zuckerberg. because they wanted to reserve the Zuckerberg to but Zuckerberg's not human. That is a fucking robot. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> He has no emotions. He doesn't know what feelings are like, okay? Be, be easy on, on Zucks. But what I think is, like, really interesting, though, is that if you don't mitigate and pay attention to when you are making decisions, um, you will be burned out before you even know it. And one thing I'm seeing that manifest in my life is, like, by 7.30, I've already sifted through three or four pitches like business pitches Mm -hmm. and to me that doesn't seem like anything but it takes energy to to decide if you want to do it it takes energy to respond respectfully and say i do not have this time and so if you've made a hundred decisions before noon how productive are you going to be after noon right it's it's an information mitigation uh technique that i need to employ because there's only a finite number of inf- amount of information you can take in every day before your brain just kind of like, I quit, right? 
Um, have you found yourself getting to a point like that, either in decision fatigue or just the amount of information that you have to synthesize and process fatiguing? Every day. I, <clears throat> I feel like I've heard Every that, but day. I've completely forgotten. I'd completely forgotten about that point of the decision fatigue is after too many, you get tired. So it's not even the, the onset of decisions, but then how many you make. I completely forgot. And I think that's like a key point, what they talk about it. You mentioned all these CEOs, they have insane amount of money and yet black turtlenecks, gray hoodies, jeans. Cause <laughs> it's, it's, it's viewed as not just eccentric, but some people, you know, poo poo on it. Like, Oh, they just, they're just so busy. They don't have time to do that. But no, I think what they're doing is actually kind of smart. They're offloading. That's one less decision they have to make in the day. You don't have to stand in the closet. But I would hire a stylist. Damn. That's, you're that's hard to look at. <laughs> they have, you're supposed to be the figurehead. They have billions of dollars. Like, how about have just someone else? Actual billions of dollars. Someone else can personally Can we get some eye candy? So we could sit in your closet all day. That's all they do. They live in your closet and they just pick out your clothes when you walk in there. And then they just, you turn the lights off and they just huddle up and live in your closet. Uh, Shout French out, Montana do don't know what he's talking about, bragging about no stylist, man. You got to have a stylist. Reduce the number of decisions you're making. I love, I love this. And I just, I had completely forgotten <laughs> about the decision fatigue. We've talked yeah. even at the beginning of this. That's huge. I think a big problem of mm -hmm. mine and yours at the beginning, uh, where we kind of bonded mm -hmm. over, is our information addiction. Mm -hmm. And it yes. ebbs and flows. I forget that I need yes. to watch out for it, but um, it's, mm -hmm. it's it has improved just because I got busy. So I actually need to do work mm -hmm. on occasion. Uh, but during that, yeah. during my darker times of less efficiency, it's because of this mm -hmm. information addiction. You're just sucking. You're just sucking up information. Yeah. And I think it plays everywhere. directly into this yeah. mental fatigue. Because I'm just constantly consuming mm -hmm. and inputting, not doing much outputting. Mm -hmm. It's there's just only so much, mm -hmm. you know, uh, routing space that my brain can handle. And so I I really do like intaking information. I like reading the articles, I like watching the videos. And what I just found mm -hmm. was that if no matter how many proficiency articles or do this software thing this way, unless I did it, I didn't retain it. And all I did was just waste that time. And you think, I think but yeah. it makes you a great podcast co-host, bro. <laughs> and you do retain it because you're like, I don't know what it was, but I learned yeah. this thing somewhere. Loosely. Right. But, and it's, but, and it's right. But when, when, when yeah. things have been implemented and probably, probably those things that crop up are often something like I finished the article or I read it through. And maybe that gets stored. And who knows how many things or how many podcasts and interviews, documents saved, YouTube videos watched to where it's completely gone. And then I hear about it three years later, like this decision fatigue point you, you brought up. It's like, mm -hmm. oh my God, you're right. Mm -hmm. Too many decisions are being you just made. remember. Too many decisions are mm -hmm. being made. And I think that's it. All of this ties in. And that's what's like fascinating and also what's so hard about it to where life is incredibly simple and but enacting it is incredibly complex. We know how to get good at playing a piece. There's no mystery. There's no hack. Mm -hmm. Set it up. Have a couple systems. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. 
doing that is incredibly hard. Running a marathon mm-hmm. at its core is insanely simple. Go run. Maybe watch a video of yourself. Learn the technique. Get better form. Have some better equipment. Do it every day. Not every day. Oof. With the gymnastic ring, setting it up. Yeah. But not every day. Set up a, a schedule. Yeah. Like, figure it out. There are, there are plenty of methods and things out there to do it. But not everyone's out there doing rings. Not everyone is out there doing gymnastic rings or doing marathons. Mm-hmm. Why? Because doing things is hard. Our body resists it. It's very hard. The voice in the head doesn't want to do it. Oh, it's the resistance, bro. Can I can I actually share a theory with you? Tinfoil hat? I'm ready for it. Okay. We're jumping back to like analogies and metaphors. Do you ever feel or do you feel that a imagining your brain like a battery? Because uh, we're so similar, right? So mm-hmm. one thing that I'm finding, right, is I go through waves of needing to charge my battery, which is learn new shit so I have interesting stuff to talk about and to share with people. And then I go through a phase of just like trying to like expel that stuff and, and, and synthesize the information through conversation, through content mm-hmm. creation, through storytelling, right? And then once I've said everything I need to say and I'm like, okay, I don't really know anything new. <laughs> And then I go back into needing to charge my battery. But what we're talking about, though, is getting to a point where you get into that phase of charging your battery, but then you keep charging it once it's full. The action is discharging the battery. The action is like Mm. out here, you know, talking like you out here, getting on the podcast, talking, sharing the sharing the uh, gems that you're getting from your mentor. Right. Mm -hmm. Going and creating um, these musicals, these compositions, working with students, building companies, you're doing, you're doing, right? You are doing action. So I, I don't think these moments where we're absorbing information is bad. I think it's actually good. But where what happens is you can kill your battery. If it's full and you keep charging it, you destroy the integrity of the battery. So it's healthy to discharge, over time too. But the, the, the thing is, is we are in an unprecedented um, time in history. Information has never been this readily available. In Jim Quick's book, Limitless, he talks about the average human today gets more information every day than an, an average human would accumulate in their entire lifetime in 1400. Every day you get more information than a dude who lived on a in a serfdom, (laughs) you know, just post black plague. Right. But we're the same humans. Our hardware is the same. The software is different. The offloading system is different. So we have to create different systems and behaviors to compensate. Otherwise we all go crazy. (laughs) We're seeing it on social media, (laughs) the social dilemma, right? I need to, we're seeing it there. It's already happening. Bro, you haven't watched it? No. Okay, Trevor, there are a couple things we need to do. We need to talk about the Adam Neely video at some point, and we need to talk about the Social Dilemma video. Okay, there we have two. Those need to be some bonus. Two bonus. Two bonus reaction pods. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. I'm. I think that's the. I think that's the move because uh, it kind of goes on. You're friends with John Hong. He's been talking about this since Juilliard. He's been reading books on the attention economy mm-hmm. back in like 2015 he was talking about the attention economy and now it's kind of hitting the mainstream and everybody's like 
Whoa. Well, because we're seeing side effects Whoa. now. The, a lot of those books were predictors, and now we've directly seen the results. And we like what? We don't bro? really like the results. Results are good. What are what are some what are some side effects you see? Look look around you. The world's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> you just think about this. Like the power uh, of the control and access to internet. Everyone thought my one of my favorite memes or quotes or whatever is like everyone thought for thousands of years that all people needed was more information to make better decisions, to be better, to do wiser things. Turns mm-hmm. out that was wrong. <laughs> we need we need to hit the next step, which is we need to learn how to process information better. Because mm-hmm. if you scroll through Facebook and like I do, I follow a lot of um, right wing deep deep. Oh. oh yeah, I've been for for, for five years. Follow the Daily Wire. I follow all the famous oh, token man, you're good. dumpster good fires. You, I read all man. the comments. I consume. Mm-hmm. I don't expect, or I would recommend most people do not do that. It is not healthy. Uh, you will not feel better. But I just want, I, for me, I was like, I can do this. I can convey this information from one bubble to the next. It is a mm-hmm. completely different Different universe. reality. I went there yeah. after the debate. I go on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I go to the Daily Wire. Too, Twitter. How are they spinning this? Oh, yeah. Twitter. And it's a completely mm-hmm. different landscape. Mm-hmm. If I lived in that world, I would have thought last night went very differently. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would have not, I would have no idea about how poorly Trump was viewed and some of the comments and how disgusting and whiny and weak and inefficient it looked. No, I would think he's a hero. He was an alpha, yeah. steamrolled Biden who didn't answer That's any questions. That's what Winton thinks too. That's what Winton thinks too. Yeah, which is funny because he's and, yeah, he's not Republican. So I follow all those things, mm-hmm. um, and now that it's we've circled back around to debates. Marianne Talon, she's the one of the head honchos of costumes at Juilliard. She's a wonderful mm-hmm. person, super creative, mm-hmm. super awesome. She costumed a play in New York, and I went three times. I think I took you. I might have Jeez. taken you. I, maybe I dragged, or it might have been John and Josh. It was years ago, or 2017. 2017. It was reenactments, gender flipped reenactments of the debates. Oh, I missed That was just this. the play. No, I, mi- I missed it. It this. must have been yeah. John and Josh because I would have watched yeah. the debates with them. Yeah. So I would have taken them to the I saw one. I and saw a debate with them. Yeah. I would always try to go and just watch the debates somewhere down in the West Village or whatever. Yeah. So we go to, I took them, I went on my own, yeah. and then I took just yeah. me and Amy once. So I go, I go watch this thing three times because it blew my fucking mind. All they did was they would take 20 minute highlight from the first debate, 20 minute highlight from the second debate, 20 minute highlight from the third debate, kind of key moments of the debates mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. fully reenact them. Very specific hand movement, inflection, gestures, outfits, costumes, colors, lights. Mm-hmm. Their video of them side by side enacting it and the real thing. And all they did was gender flip. Mm-hmm. Trump was a female in a red dress, and then Hillary was a dude, blue tie. And mm-hmm. that was it. Everything else was the same. And so my hypothesis going in was that I would be even more polarized, that it would remove, you know, come my concerns about a Clinton and then the allure of a Trump. Turns out, seeing it stripped away from their names and personas, it made me understand why Trump 
one, how you could look at those debates, how you could look at those debates through a, just a different lens. It was removing my disgust for Trump and who he is and what he stands for. His same words, his same gestures, his same actions. When it was coming from this lady, she looked stronger than the Hillary figure. Mm-hmm. She's more commanding. All the perks and the things they looked at were coming out in here, in this. And even, even beyond the gender flip, I think just removing it from them, mm-hmm. it was a new framing. It was a new lens to look through what other people might have seen. It, it narrowed the gap as mm-hmm. far as I thought mm-hmm. you know, Clinton would always win. And yes, there's problems, but she won all those debates. It made that gap closer. I understood when my eyes would gloss over when Hillary's talking about specifics of nuclear politics. And then Trump's just saying, no, you're the puppet and sounding like an idiot, not having complete sentences. It was more compelling. It was more drawing in my eye. It took me out of my zone, my built up barriers and presuppositions. And Mm -hmm. it took me into another sphere. And that really changed how I viewed last night. It's changed how I viewed a lot of things Mm -hmm. in that understanding that two people can sit there, stare at the same exact performance and come to two completely different conclusions it's like people are different or something (laughs) like the way people perceive reality it's kind of it's kind of crazy um i think what's really important to understand is with trump we had four years of a black man in the highest office eight years a country that wants to write out a country where um, many people believe that talking about slavery is equated to hating your country. If that's not nationalistic, I do not know Mm -hmm. what is because that sounds like Germany saying talking about the Holocaust means you don't love Germany or Japan saying talking about the comfort women from uh, China and Korea is saying you don't love Japan. No, it's looking at what you did in the past that is despicable, like internment camps, like putting people at the border, like taking, tearing uh, parents from their kids, giving women hysterectomies, like letting, letting COVID go rampant. Bro, there's so many things. Another one of those memes or phrases, which was like something along the lines of talking about racism seems un-American, then that means Mm -hmm. racism is American. Like, (laughs) what does that tell you? It tells you what every Black person already knows. So it's not surprising. However, I think that scared a lot of people, seeing a Black man in Mm -hmm. in office. That scared a lot of people, and they were silent. There were people that, when Obama was elected, they had nooses around dolls that looked like him. Yeah. They were burning and on Obama fire dolls. They were they were lynching dolls of Obama. But people didn't really care, right? But that's but that's the silent. That's the silence. That's the silent like hate that's been festering. So, when you are hateful and you're scared because there is a black man in the office, you want somebody who is going to make you feel safer. Somebody who's going to put on a strong and strong, fierce fight for you and your values. Who does that? Is Joe Biden going to do that for you? Is Joe Biden going to do that for you, right? Or is he going to try to collaborate, right? Is he going to try to work with... (laughs) 
communities of color. You know, if you, it's really telling, and I'm, I, this is going to get me in trouble, mm-hmm. but like at this point in my eyes, if you support a man like Trump, it really just tells me you don't like people like me. You know what I mean? And you were much rather feel safe by somebody who doesn't care about you, who doesn't care about this pandemic and is willing to see you die in order for the economy to come back without actually addressing the problem. So uh, that's kind of how I felt. But that being said, from the debate last night, man, Trump looked way stronger because it was like a five-year-old not leaving an issue, right? Shout out to Chris Wallace mm-hmm. for doing his best. What about the $3.5 million, Joe? $3.5 million. $3.5 million. And that's what all he did. No, no, you're, you're the puppet. No, you're the puppet. You're the puppet. You're the puppet. What about those emails? Emails. So he's, emails. He is able to control the narrative. Think about it. Mm-hmm. He goes on his own home turf. He's on Fox News. They all love him. And he's still struggled. And what everyone says, so I watched, I flipped between both CNN and Fox News right after, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just to see. I'm like, oh, how's this going to go? And so mm-hmm. CNN, it was like, he looks like a bully. He looked disheveled. Trump looked like an idiot. Yeah. He was interrupting. Yeah. Chris was calling him out. He looks just like weak and obviously was unprepared. All of which are true. But <laughs> flip over to Fox News. You flip over to Fox News. He steamrolled Joe Biden. He was strong. He, he was the alpha in the room. Mm-hmm. Now, here's mm-hmm. the thing. So they did the instant polling afterwards. This will probably make very little, very little difference, only in the margins. Mm-hmm. Is that independence and pretty much everyone else except his core base thought Joe did better. Mm-hmm. And they, they he, he overperformed expectations and tr- less so than Biden, Trump really underperformed expectations with undecideds and people who had mm-hmm. pre-thought, you know, who would do better in the debate. Trump really just yeah. underperformed because he, he does look weaker to people who don't follow this because he looked rude and no one likes a bully except if you're one of those people who loves what he said. He sticks mm-hmm. it to the man. Trump goes in there and he's the He's the big orange bull in the china shop. He's running around in there, destroying everything. And him being a bully and a dick and an idiot is the selling point. And they will say that. Like, he looked, he looked rude. He was sticking. He was aggressive and, like, mm-hmm. saying what he thinks. And then the next paragraph on this Daily Wire comment is like, and that's why we voted for him. We love it. They think that, you know, the government's ignored them and not looked, at, not looked out for them. And it's really just a cry for losing power. It's pain. Mm-hmm. Almost everything goes back to pain. This collection of people have been hurting. They've lost mm-hmm. stature. All these mm-hmm. uh, blue-collar workers out in rural mm-hmm. areas, they've been losing power. And what really pisses them off is that we're finally <laughs> trying to pay some attention to others who, uh, who never had that power. Mm-hmm. Well, they're dealing with the opioid crisis, too. A lot of these places. Dude, I've heard. I've, I haven't been. I mean, I've been to Detroit. I've been to Detroit, man. The mm-hmm. energy's different. Like, if there's not a vibrant economy in a place where people feel like they have purpose and they're building something that matters and they're connected to their community, you see things like crime and drugs. Like those things really happen, and it's not by design, but it's a result of an economic depression. What what is so crazy is like it's happening to a lot of white communities as we transition from fossil fuel industries, right? As we transition from mm-hmm. trucking, 
uh, into more automated and more green technologies. What the government should be doing is helping people in that transition so that they can continue to make a livelihood and we can build our our uh, infrastructure. It's much easier, however, to just point to, look, it's the black and brown people that are taking this from you. Things were great. Mm-hmm. Things were great. Let's make America great again. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, let's just fix the problems. <laughs> let's not mm-hmm. just feed on fear. It's, it's, it's the fear. It's just an obvious fear of losing power, of knowing that mm-hmm. It's it's the misconception that because someone else can get a hand or gets assistance, that it's somehow taking away from you. And so all they hear in the news is, you know, the, like you you heard the comments. Then he was railing against diversity in this initiatives, and they they think that oh it's it's just because I'm white. No, they they forget it's because they're just mediocre. <laughs> nah. Like hey, you know you're also like not like. You're just not good at the thing. Like, you don't deserve this. You need to earn this. You need to work a little harder. They don't want to hear No, but they got participation Uh, trophies and their mom said they look good in a suit, bro. (laughs) Yeah, like, like, come on. And so the thing we always, that always gets glossed over and seems to, seemingly was completely forgotten is that white people received reparations. (laughs) That's all of FDR. That was the, that was the deal. Almost every, New deal. Mm-hmm. Every everyone has uh, all white people have benefited from government assistance, and that was not afforded African American communities at all, or really any other community. Uh, you come back from the war, only these people get houses, only you get suburbs, only you can work these jobs during World War II. All these various Preach. initiatives, and so what Preach. is that? That's that's white people reparations. That is white people government assistance. So only they got it. So no, so. It's like false how they've been able to progress this far. All we're asking is to make amends for that that left behind aspect. And it no one likes that. It's so confusing to me how everyone just, you know, it's all this benefits, all these things going on, and then all this trauma and pain caused and redlining and just, you know, the list goes on and on of all just the horrible stuff. And then suddenly now it's like, no, we've solved it. Here's a fresh start. That's not how this works. It's not how anything works. It's it's the gladiator metaphor. At the end of Gladiator, Russell Crowe gets stabbed in the chest, and then they put the armor on him. They take him out there. He's gonna die anyways. It's a fair fight. No, it's not. You just you stabbed him. It's not fair. <laughs> you need he's to heal. It's like this. That's not how any of this works. We can't have a fresh start. You hear the phrase, "No, I don't see race," or "Why does it have to be about race?" And let's move on man. about it. I'm like, because we never addressed it. And when you write it out of the history yeah. books, we never you can it. erase it. You can erase it. And then you can just be like, I guess black people are lazy. You know, I don't know. They just seem to not have money. I don't know what's wrong with them. It's like they are lazy. They don't like to work, but they worked for hundreds of years for no money and built the whole fucking economy. <laughs> There's no inheritance because they couldn't collect it. They can't live in better places. They can't even buy homes. We've eliminated you know, their education. We instantly, all these credit, like all these little things have built up. And duh, of course that's what's going to happen. I guess they're just inferior genetically, bro. <laughs> I think so there's just this feeling, there's this feeling that their genes just aren't it's, desirable. So maybe we put them over. It's got to be the skull. Why don't we put them in a, a section of town that we don't put any grocery stores there. We just put fast food. 
we throw crack cocaine in the communities and just see what happens. Yeah, but when it happens to white communities, it's a it's a health issue. It's oh, a- it's a health crisis, bro. We gotta save these people hooked on oxycotton that companies that we subsidize <laughs> hand out like it's candy. Insane. The framework. It's not seen that way in these communities. It's an attack on their heritage, which is so weird. <laughs> I was just like, bro, what is your heritage? Like slavery? You're proud of that? Like, you know, come on. Like when I was in Richmond, bro, in February. Oh man, that's a oof. we drove by and we actually had a conversation because it was like three black people in the car and one white dude. We were driving past the Robert E. Lee statue. The all these the, and they're big and they're majestic and they're beautiful, which is fucking crazy, mm-hmm. right? And we were talking, and this was February before they came down. We were like, "Why are these still up? Didn't they lose?" Yeah, like, but didn't you <laughs> attack our country? It makes no. It'd be like, aren't in, you a traitor? It'd be like in like Hiroshima, they made a statue of the atomic bomb. <laughs> like, Little on. boy, bro, it's like terrible. <laughs> like you don't do that. It'd be like in my front yard with my peanut allergy. There's a statue of Mr. Peanut in my front yard. <laughs> and like, every day I have to look at that statue. It's a uniquely American problem that we just obsess. Like China just eliminates it. They don't want to talk about their bad history. Or it's a bigger problem in their house. Yeah. But we're doing we're eliminating our history in an American way. <laughs> Dude, it's happening everywhere. It's happening in Japan. They don't talk about it. And that's that's making Korea really upset. Um, mm-hmm. there are lots of uh people in Germany that are Holocaust deniers, which is like And it's growing with with time because the distance gets away yeah. and then they read the mm-hmm. forums and all these things. And I, I love how we wound up. We went from um scheduling and agendas and efficiency and and now we've just gone full on just spiraled into doom pod mode yeah <laughs> <laughs> only on the faking notes podcast only on the faking notes podcast but it's real and i think that art and what we do as artists can never be divorced from the times in which we live mm-hmm. um especially if we want to actually tell the truth and or at least our truth because guess what? And this is what I wanted to circle back with. It's like what you said earlier, two different realities. And if you live in a society, and this is what George Washington was so afraid of with a two-party system developing. When you have two party systems developing, you can create two different realities. And if you have two different realities that are very different from each other, the the overlap is non-existent. If you if you don't agree the sky is blue, how the fuck are you gonna agree on anything? And then that's where you have a problem. So I'm trying to figure out what do we do as citizens, aside from, you know, sacrificing our lives, becoming activists, right? What do we do to really have a more moderate party again? Well, obviously, Drew, no, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, bro, tell me. <laughs> obviously, bro, we just need like free Kit Kats. I'm the free Kit Kat party. Ooh. Dude, yeah, that's my Birthday party. Can we can we just be about the birthday party? I love <laughs> Lord Kanye. Kanye's looking real good after that debate. <laughs> Preach. Oh. Dude, I've missed man. you. I miss you too, man. I needed this. I know. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. Yeah, uh, sorry. Sorry <laughs> we went this way. But I guess the takeaway, too, is it's all about yeah. frameworks and systems, both yeah. for you, yourself, your schedule, mm-hmm. and for this country. And if you can set them up 
for success, follow them, look back, mm-hmm. reflect, try to improve in any way you can. Your art and your country are going to be better for it. If you can't improve yourself, if you can't take care of yourself, how the hell are you going to take care of anybody else? So start with you. And I think that's kind of like what we want in this episode. Because we're going to need you. We're going to need all the help we can get. And I think we're more, more than capable. We're more than powerful. And the job will be done. And we will be better for it. So I'm looking forward to that. If you like this episode, drop a rating. Drop a comment. Please. Please. Yes. Please. Please. Think about yourself. Except when you comment for us and leave a rating and subscribe. Yeah. But you you will be thinking about us because it's like it's just you and me. It's just, it's just us. Trevor. No one else is here. It's just it's just us. Just us. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace. Take care.